It is said that eons and eons and eons ago, there was this ascetic named Sumedha, who was uh, a diligent yogi, and been practicing for some long time. And one day on his alms round into the village, he saw that there was a lot of excitement in the village and inquired what was going on. And he was told that the Buddha, Dipankara Buddha, was going to come to town. And the ascetic Sumedha thought it would be nice to see this Buddha. And so he found out the route and got a place along the route that the Buddha would come so that he could see the Buddha. And it said that as the uh, Dipankara Buddha approached uh, the ascetic Sumedha, Sumedha had developed enough concentration and powers of mind to see the, uh, what would you call it, the purity, the nobility, the extraordinariness of Dipankara Buddha. And he was so moved by the Buddha and understood that the Buddha is one who is awakened and teaches for the benefit of others, that he made a vow that someday in the future he would like to become a Buddha. And it is said that if that ascetic Sumedha had heard a single word of teaching from Dipankara Buddha, he would have become fully enlightened. Meaning he was already pretty developed, pretty pure in his mind, but he didn't have the teachings of the Buddha, the liberation teachings of the Buddha. So when he made this vow and this aspiration, the Buddha, Dipankara Buddha was nearby, and he saw that this ascetic had made this vow to become a Buddha. So he did a quick check of his uh, karmic record, so to speak. <laughs> and saw that indeed, at some point in the future, this ascetic, the mind stream of that ascetic, would become a Buddha. So he confirmed to the ascetic Sumedha that his aspiration would come to bear. And this is the qualifications for someone to become a bodhisattva in, from the Theravada perspective, is that they need to have this aspiration to become a Buddha and have it confirmed by a living Buddha to become a bodhisattva. Thereupon, Dipankara Buddha entered the path of the bodhisattva path to become a Buddha. And it is said that he lived for hundreds of lifetimes. Hundreds. In order, in, in, you know, as human, in the heaven realm, in the animal realm, in other realms, to basically perfect the paramis in the mind. To bring the paramis to such a point of development and perfection that they were the default setting of the mind in every mundane and extraordinarily challenging situation. And when you read some of the stories of the lifetime of the Bodhisattva, phenomenally difficult and challenging situations to develop 
and generosity, renunciation, the other paramis that I have mentioned. And yet, when the Siddhartha the, was born 20, nearly 2,600 years ago in uh, India, it was the mind stream of that ascetic Sumedha. And he was destined, through his karmic uh, work, to become Buddha in that lifetime. And so we know something of the story of the Bodhisattva as the ascetic, and after his years of uh, austerities for six years, uh, then went on his own to discover, to realize, really, uh, the truth, what the truth of the end of suffering really was. <clears throat> and throughout, and then there, thereupon became a Buddha, the Buddha Gotama, who is the Buddha of our time. Throughout that whole journey, hundreds of lifetimes of perfecting the paramis, it is said that in all that time, he never once didn't speak the truth. The Dharma is the truth. The Dharma is the way things are. That was a commitment that Bodhisattva makes, you know, is to know the truth and to speak the truth. And it said that he never, while he broke all the other precepts and you know had challenging times, he didn't not speak the truth. And Throughout all of those lifetimes, his mind was directed towards the fulfillment of his aspiration. His mind was resolute, was steadfast, unshakable, even though it was challenged in every lifetime. This quality of resoluteness, decisiveness, this uh, resolved aspiration in the mind is called aditana or resoluteness or resolve. This is another one of the paramis. It is one of the qualities that we too are developing here in our practice. And it is the quality of steadfastness, of resoluteness, of commitment, and the ability to recommit to that commitment, to reaffirm that commitment, to be decisive in pursuing the fulfillment of that aspiration. So I want to speak about Aditana Parami, the resolve, the perfection of resolve, because it is a mental muscle and it can be developed, just like other mental muscles that we're developing of awareness or loving-kindness, or generosity, renunciation. These are all mental muscles. So too is aditana. But it's one of those mental muscles or one of those paramis that you don't hear much about, in fact. We hear about loving-kindness, we hear about generosity, we hear about sila, but resolve? And that's kind of like, poor cousin. But actually, we wouldn't do this work at all if we didn't have some resolve, if we didn't have some commitment to awakening or to our version of awakening, whatever whatever it is that we see ourselves doing. 
making of a resolve involves some aspiration, a tremendous amount of energy, some wisdom to know what it is you're actually resolving for, the, the direction of your resolve, and then a lot of confidence and intention. So when we make a spiritual resolve, as we, as we did here, just to come to do a retreat, we make a resolve to do the retreat. And, you know, even in the course of being here and being committed to being here, there are still times when you'd like to say, eh, <laughs> you know, we check out for an hour or two or leave a day early or whatever it is. You know, it's easy, it's easy to see how difficult it is to be resolved and to deal with the conditions that come forward and challenge the resolve. So resolve means to be determined, to be uh, decided, to be uh, firm, to be steadfast, to be stable. But it doesn't mean to be grim, it doesn't mean to be tight, it doesn't mean to be narrow-minded. And so it's, a, it's this place of deep understanding, clear aspiration, and infinite patience. Because there are going to be some challenges on the way. And when the mind is resolved, it accepts all challenges. Not as obstacles, but as, well, opportunities for growth. Because somehow we have to grow in our resolve and reaffirm that commitment to um, fulfill our aspiration. <clears throat> the Buddha said there are these four resolves. The resolve for wisdom, the resolve for truth, the resolve for generosity, and the resolve for peace. One should not neglect wisdom. One should preserve the truth. One should cultivate generosity, and one should train in peace. These are the four resolves of our practice. So, what if right resolve is this clear direction, decided direction and aspiration, with the energy to fulfill it, what isn't right resolve? Well, struggling, striving, you know, getting stiff, and rigid and ambitious about fulfilling the aspiration. Ambition is actually you know, that, that over-striving or that wanting to do it quickly energy or rushing. Not necessary when the mind is resolved. Neither is it just raw ambition nor is it a, a personal enhancement to have an aspiration and to be working to fulfill it unwise resolve is more often obstinate, limited, prejudiced, biased, inflexible, rather than open to accepting the conditions of the path resolutely. So why is it important anyway? Why is it necessary to cultivate this resolve? Well, we can see even from a we could practice here that weak intention 
unclear aspiration, weak resolve, we wouldn't stay. We wouldn't stay. It is difficult. And anything worth pursuing in life is going to meet some challenges. Why? Well, because for anything to happen, for anything to come into being, it takes a lot of gathering together of the right causes and conditions. Time, place, resources, everything has to be gathered together and put together in a way that supports the fulfillment of uh, the aspiration. And so much of that is outside of our immediate control. And so when we resolve the mind to do anything, we are counting on, capitalizing on the conditions that are necessary when they become available. We can't make them become available, but we can recognize them when they're available. So it gives us a lot of strength and stability in our practice for us on this path. And it keeps us aligned with our aspiration. If you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. <laughs> you don't know where you're going. It doesn't matter what you do. But if you do know where you're going, and you have that clear moral or spiritual compass, and you're resolute, then you know the journey, you know the path. It is a guide to the decisions, all the decisions you'll be asked to make to recommit to this aspiration, to fulfill this aspiration on this journey. So what prevents being resolute in our practice here? Well, there's many, there's many ways that we are not resolute. <clears throat> Sometimes our resolution, our resolve, is contaminated by doubt or indecision. And when, when there's doubt in the mind, looking at the resolve, we waver, we wander, we second-guess, we feel perplexed, and we hesitate. With doubt in the mind, we start many things. We finish few. Doubt is irresolute because it isn't confident of the direction it's going. When doubt is present, it's hard to be resolved because there's doubt. You know, should I, shouldn't I, will I, won't I, this way, that way? So when we lack that kind of confidence and assurance, we can question the value of our aspiration. You know, we, you know, at the end of a retreat, we're at our maximum <coughs> faith, confidence, clarity of aspiration, energy, insight. It's, it's peaking now. And, you know, in a week of being out in the world and re-engaged with the proliferation of other options in life. You know, the clarity is not so clear and the direction is not so decisive and our commitment or aspiration is weaker 
and it just kind of falls down on the to-do list. It just kind of doesn't hold its preeminent, our faith just doesn't hold the preeminent place in our heart. And that's not, that's not any fault of anybody. And this is the way it is. Causes and conditions give rise to experience. And when the mind is less uh, directed to continuously or less continuity in fulfilling our aspiration, the aspiration, we lose sight of it. This is doubt. But practice purifies our aspiration. You know, often when we start practice, we don't really know what it is we want, or what it is we're doing, or where we're going, or what the potential of this practice is. I don't think any of us have any idea what the potential of practice is when we start. we just got some vague idea about something that we'd like. And only as we practice and purify our understanding do we then purify our aspiration. How we see, how we articulate, what we recognize as our aspiration. And that, in turn, brings a little more confidence and a little more resolve. can't remember if I said in this retreat, but after I'd done one retreat, I went on staff at the meditation center. <clears throat> and on my first day of working in the meditation center, I was up in the attic, working with Rodney Smith, who was also on staff, having a discussion about Nibbana. I mean, I did one retreat. <laughs> challenging 
without meeting or speed bumps in the way or obstacles, what, what might initially appear as an obstacle. And if we, if our mental energy collapses, then we succumb to inertia, a kind of laziness, a, maybe a self-pity, some kind of giving up. And we all probably, at times, even in a sitting, you feel like, please, bell, ring, quick. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, I don't have any more energy. And, and lack of energy happens, of course, we want to be able to recognize it. But when we let it um, unplug or contaminate our resolve, uh, then we're not going to practice much at all. <clears throat> But with confidence and energy, then we are willing to engage, you know, obstacles, conditions that look like obstacles, knowing that current self, current limitations are just uh, an indication of the way things are now. It's not a uh, reified way that we're going to have to live or deal with this thing. It's just temporary. All obstacles only reveal a temporary limitation in the mind. And if we practice, that limitation can be overcome and the obstacle is, is no longer an obstacle. So we progressively build up the energy uh, even when we, uh, you know, as long as we have that resolve, as long as we have that faith, then we can build up the energy and obstacles will be um, overcome. But as Trungpa Rinpoche said, he said, you know, if we knew what would be involved in this journey of awakening, it would be better if we had not begun. <coughs> but since we didn't know and we began, it would be better if we finish. <laughs> so, so uh, too late now. <laughs> we have ourselves a, uh, a path to walk. And so... Don't be lazy, right? So you probably heard of Deepa, the Bengali woman who was uh, one of our teachers you know, back in the early years. She um, she suffered tremendously in her life. Her husband died, and one or two of her children died when she was really young. <clears throat> she was married off as a young Indian woman when she was thirteen or something, and uh, she just was into a severe. Uh, depression uh, in her life. And when she was just about ready to expire, she got, you know, encouraged to take up practice, meditation practice. And she was, when she did, you know, on her first day of practicing at the meditation center, she had to crawl up the steps to the meditation hall. She was that weak. That weak. Anyway, she had some paramis, and you know it didn't take her long to develop extraordinary samadhi, collectedness of mind, and develop liberating insight quickly. It's just an extraordinary way. And she then went on to even develop further um, samadhi and extraordinary um, concentration of mind. Before she passed away, I think it might have been the last time that she came to the States, I'm not sure, 
she was talking to Joseph. And Joseph had, you know, known her in India along with Sharon and then they brought her to IMS two or three, three or four times. <clears throat> and at some point towards maybe on her last day, she said to Joseph, Joseph, you should uh, sit for a weekend. And Joseph thought, well, that's no problem. I, you know, he does self-retreats and retreats. He thought that was no problem. She said, no, no, no. I mean, you should sit down and not get up for two or three days. <laughs> she could do that. He would sit down, go into her jhanic state, and three days later she'd get up. Okay, so she said to Joseph, you should sit for a weekend. And Joseph goes, <laughs> once, he, once she clarified for, for him what she meant, he just thought, well, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> and she says, don't be lazy. <laughs> As if laziness was the impediment. But nevertheless, it's something to uh, consider that in her mind, that was possible. Don't be lazy. Well, when I went to monastery in Burma. You know, I went there and Upandita greeted me and gave me the schedule and, you know, alternate hours of sit and walk from three in the morning till eleven at night. And he says, you can sleep as much as you like between eleven and three. <laughs> he didn't say don't be lazy, but I knew what he meant. So when, we, when we're lazy, we, see, we just lose sight of our aspiration. We lose sight of our resolve. Sometimes resolve is contaminated by attachment, which is really ambition, striving, self-embellishment. And when, we, when our aspiration and our resolve is contaminated by attachment, it can only be a limited ambition. <coughs> It can't be pure. And so we think of it then as a personal accomplishment, an achievement, and if we don't, then a failure. And that's not the direction of uh, resolve. Resolve doesn't end up in success or failure. Resolve is just something you reaffirm, you reaffirm over and over, you know, as much as possible, as much as necessary. So if you're in a hurry, or if you're impatient, if you want it now, and Let's face it, at times, we all want it to be quicker, right? And we might have some ambition, some attachment to getting it done. But true resolve is without attachment to the result. It's more a direction. Knowing the direction you want to go and realigning yourself with that direction as often as necessary. When you find yourself not headed in the right direction, recognize that. And realign your efforts in the direction of your resolve, your aspiration and your resolve. When I say that resolve can be contaminated by attachment, in practice, 
as we practice, as we purify the mind, the functioning of the mental factors becomes more clear, more decisive, more powerful. And in Burma, while I was practicing both in practicing Vipassana and practicing jhana, we would use resolves, or at a certain point, the teacher would use resolves to train the mind in the developing of resolve, the strength of resolve. And what it involves is setting your setting a course for your mind to follow in the next city. So you'd say, oh, may, you know, the teacher would say, just do this resolve. May my mind realize X, something that you've experienced before. So you'd say, okay. You sit down, you make the resolve, then you start your practice, and you don't do anything to try to make the resolve work. You trust your mind to have heard and to be pure enough without attachment to find a way. And so you have to experiment because naturally when you make that result, may my mind do this, initially you have some attachment. Is it going to work? Is it going to work? You know, that's attachment. And so it doesn't. <laughs> so you learn pretty quick that if there's any attachment to the result being fulfilled, it won't happen. And nevertheless, when the resolve is pure and there's no attachment, the mind will accomplish the resolve. So it's learning how to use resolve without ambition, without attachment. And I remember months of doing this. But one time, Upandita said to me, why don't you just resolve to do this? And when he said what he said, I just burst out laughing. I just said, well, that's impossible. That's just, like, ridiculous. And he said, oh, I'll just give it a try. Like, don't worry about it. Just, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, no problem. We're just developing resolve, that's all. So I said, oh, yeah, I didn't even believe it. You don't have to believe in resolve, and it can happen. So I sat down, and I did the resolve. I mean, sincere. I mean, my mind was pure, and I made the resolve, just like... And it, and it took about two seconds, and the mind accomplished the resolve. Not because I knew how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And if there was any ambition to try to make it happen, it doesn't happen. <coughs> but when the mind is pure and the aspiration or the resolve is pure, without attachment, things like that can happen. So this is a faculty of the mind. This is a training that we we can do. And so it's not unskillful even when you're doing practice here even to just sit down and resolve. You know, may my mind be continuously aware for the sitting. Then you don't do anything about it. You just do your regular practice and just see what happens. You know, in time you'll begin to see oh, resolve makes a difference. Having a, having, you know, pure mind set the course of intention for the mind, and then let the mind do the work. It happens. Sometimes resolve is contaminated by dosa or aversion of some form or another, like fear of failure. Fear is an aversion. I'm not wanting to engage with this, this particular condition. So 
when we when we think of practice or uh, our practice as a personal ambition or accomplishment, we can fear not succeeding, and that, or we can have aversion to the pace of practice, and these will these will contaminate the um, resolve. So too with anger or irritation when facing obstacles or challenges in practice. If we get frustrated or if we get disappointed in our experience, this is aversion undermining the resolve. So it doesn't happen. So <clears throat> sometimes we have this brutal uh, judgment of our practice, as you notice, probably have. And that kind of self-judgment or judging the effectiveness of our practice or the pace of our practice is really uh, defeating, self-defeating. So, I, I think of it as the Nancy Reagan mantra for practice. Just do it. Or just don't do it. She would just don't do it. I guess it's Nike. Just do it. So... One of my experiences with resolve is we bought some land on Maui to create a little center and we wanted to get a permit to build a barn for a hall. And we found out that we didn't have a water meter which is necessary to be able to build, to get a permit to build a barn. So we said, well, what, what do we have to do to get a water meter? Well, what it ended up on is that we and our neighbors had to get together and raise the money to do an improvement for the municipal water department, which took 12 years and $162,000 for me, for my part. And all the other neighbors had to put that kind of money in, too. Each. It was a little, little like $1.2 million to do this. There were so many times along the way that we just wanted to give up. And just, but you know what? Couldn't do anything, none of us could do any building without the water meter. And so we were resolved to get it, no matter what the obstacles were. But at one point in the, in the process, when, I, when we finally got the budget put together, we realized it's going to cost way more than any of us had ever thought. Uh, I drew up a list of possible ways of reducing the cost of the project. Ask for an appointment with the, uh, ex the uh, not the water department director, but the <coughs> assistant director of the water department. So I went there with my list of possible ways that we could reduce the cost so that we could afford to do it. And he had his engineers there, and I had my piece of paper, and I had, gave them all a list of the items I wanted to cover. So I started and said, what about this? You say we have to have it, build this water tank, 10,000 gallon water tank, more than a mile away from where we live. Can't we just have a thousand gallon water tank? And they looked through the books and found the regulations that this, the, you know, prescribed size of water tanks. They said, no, not, not, not going to be possible because you have to, um, you have to have 10,000 gallons. You know, that would have saved us a couple hundred thousand dollars, but no, can't do that. Okay. Well, the next one was, you know, we got a six-inch line coming into that tank from uphill down to this tank. 
and we've got an eight-inch line going out. Now, what's the sense of that? You can't take out more water than you put in. So I looked in the regulations again, found, no, got to have an eight-inch line. Sorry, you're not going to be able to do that. And, and so on it went, down to another three or four items. Finally, after you know a few items, the deputy director he looked at me and he said, you're old enough to know, and you don't need me to remind you, life's unfair. <laughs> I had a challenge. <laughs> it looked like an obstacle. <laughs> because it was one of those like, wow, that is a slap in the face. I mean, I felt humiliated, I felt embarrassed, I felt, you know, really put down, I felt, you know, ashamed, ashamed. And my mind, luckily I'd been practicing for 30 years by that point, <laughs> my mind just scrolled through every option of anger, rage, indignation, <laughs> just, just, just quickly. It seemed like it took an hour, but it probably took five seconds. And it arrived at, this is the way it is, with the corollary, this can be dealt with, just like that. End of resistance. I still went through the rest of my list, and every one of them was no. But nevertheless, somehow my mind took that and just said, well, it looks like an obstacle, but when you're resolved, when you're resolute, there's no such thing as an obstacle. There's speed bumps. But it's just, you know, it's just an indication of you need more resources. You need more something to get over the speed bump. So we can't let our aversion to our experience impede or undermine our resolve to fulfill the aspiration. And there's lots of times where we want to, because it's difficult. Sometimes, our resolve is contaminated by restlessness. Restlessness is just being agitated, being unfocused, being dispersed, being distracted, trying many different ways without settling on one. Being anxious and regretful, feeling like we might not have enough time to gain our goal, being impatient, being off course as much as we're on course where the mind is just aimless, dispersed, not resolute, not heading in one direction. You know the space shuttle that they send up to the space station? You know, they send it up from Texas or Florida someplace, and they send the space shuttle up to the space station, and there's onboard computers that guide its uh, arrival, that they control from ground, and it takes, what, three days, three and a half days, something like that, to get there. So it's up, it's heading towards the space station, and it gets there, it arrives there, after three and a half days. But, 97% of the time, the space shuttle is off course. Off course. But because of innumerable mid-course corrections, it arrives where it's going. Our practice is just like that. We know where we're going, 
But we, we, we wander, we wander, we were off in this ditch, we're off in that ditch, we try something that doesn't work. And, you know, we're kind of off course. But nevertheless, we still will get there if you resolve or resolute to fulfill that aspiration. So this is, uh, this is the power of resolve. Is, you know, you're going to, and, it's, and like I said, it's not an ambition, it's, it's a training of the mind it's a mental muscle that we develop. So the perfection of resolve or uh, resolution is that there's a clear direction, there's a goal, if you will, and there's a commitment to move in that direction, to realign with that direction. And there's patience with all imposing conditions, and there's perseverance to overcome them. There's confidence that the goal can be reached, although it's not a personal ambition. And instead of being a grim kind of drudgery to kind of get there and to overcome the obstacles, it's more a joyful, uh, <coughs> joyful journey, knowing, having some assurance from your own faith and confidence that it's possible. So, of course, one has to be flexible, creative, adaptable to all the conditions that you're going to face. Because you don't know what you're going to run into when you start. <clears throat> but it really having, being willing to do what it takes to fulfill that commitment. You know, the interesting thing about resolve, if you clear what the practice is, somewhat clear, and you have an idea of where, what the direction is, and you really aspire to free your heart, nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop you. It's a do-it-yourself job, and while the conditions may be formidable, beginning with our own laziness and indecision and doubt, if there's that resoluteness, if there's some confidence and resoluteness, then it's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And it might not be time so much as just if with that kind of resolve, with that kind of clarity, with that kind of commitment, anytime you align yourself, realign yourself with your the direction of your aspiration, you're there. I don't want to I don't want to make it sound that simple, but in some sense that's all you can do is from where you're standing now, is realign yourself with the direction you want to go. You can't be ten steps ahead, and you can't be, and you're not, ten steps behind. You're just right here. But if you're aiming in the direction you need to go or want to go, nobody can stop you from taking the next step. That's what I mean. Nobody can stop you. Even if you look and see, you know, we've been here Six days. So, in six days, with some continuity, you can see the change in your own mind, in your own heart. Certain amount of clarity, certain amount of confidence, certain amount of uh, stillness, a little more understanding. Now, just extrapolate those six days out to the rest of your life, out through the rest of your life. Why not? 
not. I don't mean to live in retreat for the rest of your life, but I mean to have the commitment that you've had here this week to see, to be present, to kind of remember to recognize what's going on and to cultivate that, nurture that uh, aspiration, both here, at home, at work, so you, for the rest of your life. Anything is possible. Resolve. As I said all earlier, all of these paramis are practices of the Noble Eightfold Path factors, and they all involve letting go. So resolve is the practice, of course, of right speech, right thought, right action, right livelihood. And what we let go of is Dissipation, dissipating our energy, wavering commitment, waffling, aimless meandering and wandering, multitasking distractedly, lacking commitment, being irresolute and distracted. Not much for the call. I mean, not much that remembering to recognize the present moment can't take care of. So this is the Army of resolve, practice of resolve. And you can see even from your work here this week how much of that kind of decisive commitment supports practice. And then the Dharma does the work. If you do the practice, the Dharma does the work. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.